I had another Harry Potter thought. What is it? It was it's when Dumbledore saying you need to give me that liquid and I need to keep drinking it. You know, and it's not really it's kind of toxic, but he needs it. Yeah. To to save everyone. And he needs to ingest it. I don't know why she wrote it that way, but like it's like, yeah, no, I it's 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 gonna be cheating if I don't ingest this. Yeah. I have to swallow it and I have you need to, to swallow keep making it. me do it. Yeah. And Harry's giving him these little baby sips. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean that's like he's he eventually like he gets sick from that. Doesn't he die <laughs> that night? Oh no. Oh, not from that though. But yeah, but still. <laughs> oh, oh, oh everybody, spoiler alert. Dumbledore dies. <laughs> Sorry if we ruined Harry Potter for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I am Mace. Welcome to episode 150. Bam. (laughs) It is the first time, I think, right? First? I think so. I think it's the first time. Almost three years of recording this podcast. An anniversary is coming up, everybody. We don't have a very clear plan what we're going to do that for that, but we're going to do something interesting. That's true. Um... And welcome. <laughs> if you if you're listening to us for the first time, maybe you're a person out there who who just happened to search for like we just did this last week. Object relations. Podcast exactly. on object relations. I would have clicked on this, pub, this I don't podcast. Know how helpful this would be if somebody's uh, wanting the, the breakdown. It, I think it'll be helpful. Good. If you're curious. Welcome to Object Relations. The first non Enneagram episode. Yes. For for three years, we've done an Enneagram episode every five episodes, and now we are opting out of that because we can do whatever the heck we want. This is our podcast. I feel like, honestly, this opt-out is less of an opt-out. It's more of a true... Our mission is to be less certain, more curious, and in terms of this aspect of where we're going, this is where our curiosity has led us mm. to be to travel down a different path for these mm. every five episodes. Hmm. kind of thing i i would i would probably uh describe what i'm doing as an opt-out <laughs> <laughs> you can describe it however you want <laughs> all right i don't know why i say it like people. that but it's like it's sort of it's sort of like the universe is beckoning us to continue our enneagram episodes and i'm saying no nope 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 <laughs> no thank you hand it was a, it was shake. a powerful move maybe we'll come back Maybe we'll come back someday, but that would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, right, right now, right now, in terms of Enneagram, I feel like what ha- what's happening is it's like a seed. I don't know why I'm saying it this way, but a seed has now been planted. Yeah. It's it's I, we don't know what will come up and when it will come up. Yeah. It's been planted. Maybe next spring. You know. Yeah, I'm getting the imagery of a caterpillar mm. gone into a cocoon. We're in a cocoon right now. We have no idea. Although maybe we'll emerge with Enneagram. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, we'll emerge with I don't know <laughs> what I mean. We emerge by that. with the, all the books <laughs> and then <laughs> I imagine butterfly wings with an Enneagram sign on them. <laughs> okay. Uh, so here we y'all, go. this is a podcast 
dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. And that's a motto that Scott and I really deeply believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, we consider it, we recently have talked a lot about this as being a part of our lifestyle. So mm. it being mm. like embedded into all the things that we do, it's always like part of, it's always a part of everything. It's like less certain, more curious yeah. is, it's not just here on the podcast. It's, it's all aspects of our lives kind of fit under this umbrella or it's always kind of woven into the matrix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the Enneagram has always been a tool that we've like, since knowing each other and since beginning this pod where we adopted this lesser and more curious, the Enneagram has been a really helpful tool for us in being less certain, more curious, particularly about the human psyche and personality and other folks. Yeah. It's been something that we've used and it's been really helpful in being less certain, more curious. And in the midst of that, we've gone on like big journeys with the Enneagram where it's become very confusing. Yeah. And we've become a lot less certain about it. And also in the process, it's brought us into other channels of ways of thinking. That's really well said. Yeah. It's like talking about the Enneagram makes you start talking about, well, what is the ego? And well, there's a lot of different perspectives on what is the ego. And talking about the Enneagram, you talk about defense mechanisms. Well, there's lots of different ways people talk about defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. You talk about the Enneagram, you talk about this idea of a shadow side. Well, there's lots of different people who have said what a shadow side is. You talk about the Enneagram, you know, all these things. Uh, (laughs) I'm getting really overwhelmed. It's a little bit you're doing. You talk about the Enneagram, you talk about, oh, and then you talk about the Enneagram. What's that? What else? (laughs) Essence? And I think... I'm just like, yeah, uh, these are all heavy concepts. You're right. And and I think as you're saying it, I'm realizing we've mentioned this in the podcast before, but if anybody is thinking about the Enneagram, it's like it, we did a whole episode on the history, but it is something where people just started weaving in a bunch of different concepts overlaid on this ancient symbol. Right. You know? So yeah, it's like, I don't know if the, uh, if a concept of the self or object relations or essence or any of that was intended to be part of what the Enneagram was and is the Enneagram just some sort of cosmic thing that exists? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Gurchief, help. Gurchief, where are you? <laughs> yeah, so like the, the Enneagram was a, a backbone to our podcast because it was this tool that was like a really helpful language to access to all these concepts. Yeah. I feel like around the self. Is this a leveling up? What is, what do you consider this a, a, a parallel side move? I don't think I don't a think it's a step? leveling up. I think it is just a sidestep. Okay. I feel like it's I I feel like this is the way my brain works. Like truth, I see it as being like this like swirling ball in the center. Ooh. And there's all these different ideas and like modalities and theories and Mace things. Is, is uh, <laughs> their hand around their fist, sort of like something. Uh, navigating around an, a planet exactly orbiting like around orbiting, a planet. orbiting. Yeah. and I feel like there's all these different concepts that are orbiting and sometimes they're really close to truth and sometimes they're really far away and there's ah. different places along the orbits that mm. they are so I just feel like these are different lines of orbits the Enneagram is orbiting around truth mm-hmm. object relations is orbiting around truth um, 
lots of things. That's just the way my brain sees it. I like it. it. <laughs> well, that's fine, right? That's a helpful metaphor. Sure. Um, I get it. Truth. Truth. I don't even know what truth is, but I feel like, so I guess what I'm trying to say with this is we are transitioning out of using the Enneagram and like adventuring and saying, what are other modalities? Mm-hmm. And like, let's explore those. These are all potential tools to, to help us be curious. Mm-hmm. If you're just like, Oh, just be curious. And, and I guess that's what we're trying to offer. We're like, how? Mm-hmm. Like, well, dreams. Well, morning pages. Well, curious conversations with a friend. Um, you know, there, there is no, to a certain extent, if we're thinking about this as curiosity hacks, I guess a core belief for me at this stage of my life is you almost need to trick your brain, you know, or maybe another way of saying it is like, it's, it's almost like foreplay. (laughs) Like you need to warm up your brain. You don't just go, I'm going to be curious. You know, you kind of got to, you kind of got to get into a mode where you're playing and you're talking and you're wondering and you're getting out of yourself and you're getting in a flow and that that's a way that's a way to get curious. Yeah, no, I feel like with curiosity you have it's like a discipline. You have to practice mm-hmm. too. Like I feel like it's you have to work certain muscles Ooh. in order to be curious. Like you can only stretch so far unless you like every day are practicing stretching your leg. Yeah, and I want to say we're not we're not hovering on a cloud with this <laughs> lotus posture or whatever, like it zened out on curiosity. We're you know, we haven't like transcended. We're 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 trying to be curious. We want it for ourselves. No, we're like in the mud of yeah. kid with yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. Like I I hope that you know we are like I feel like the image of us is like there's like I'm like, I imagine thick roots in like murky mud. That's good. And we're like Climbing up the vines, like sloshing it off and like falling down again. <laughs> oh, yeah, I must, I must picture like um, that that plant that grabs Hermione, Ron, and and Harry. On oh the first no, look. exactly, like, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, it's pulling us in. And you're like, please. That is a much yeah. more apt image than <laughs> sitting on a cloud. Yeah, we're not out. curiosity gurus. <laughs> Well, and I don't even know if being a group being, I feel like being in the throes of curiosity is not necessarily like it involves not sitting on a cloud being above it all. Gosh, this, this, I could really get lost in all this because now I'm just wanting to pop off a metaphor. (laughs) I like this idea of being in the throes of curiosity. It almost feels like you're demon possessed. (laughs) Ah, I'm curious. They're experiencing too much curiosity. Get the priest. We need like an holy water. Too much curiosity. Give them some certainty. I've been wondering about object relations. No, the Enneagram. Shut up. Too much wondering. No, it's true. I mean, I I feel like there's there's this thing of curiosity. Also, is like it's there's the potential or the pitfall to be just think of curious curiosity in terms of like thinking. Yeah, but it's like curiosity and stillness Ah, and like, I don't know, just all the, well, yeah, as you said, many modalities, many modalities. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, as you're saying, we could talk about metaphors all night. I'm like, well, I feel like we kind of are like, Mm -hmm. that's what all these modalities are. It's Mm -hmm. just like a series of words and metaphors. It's like, these are, we're going to talk about concepts and it's like, none of them are real. Yeah. Like <laughs> they're <laughs> we are really possessed by curiosity. Yeah. 
None of it is real. I mean, I'm talking in a microphone. <laughs> Scott, what is Scott? Scott doesn't exist. <laughs> well, it's like I'm a, I'm a human. What is human? Is that real? Yeah. <laughs> no, I vibe with that. <laughs> well, and I it's a podcast that that too, but also like this idea we're talking about, like the internal object, yeah, the no, transitional object, giving a taste, transference, Ooh. like these things are. That, There's words for them, appetizer. but they're not like real, right. necessarily measurable things. It's like trying to explain kind of unexplainable phenomena in a sort. Yeah, you sent me a quote this week about the way you can understand transference. First of all, is to understand that transference doesn't exist. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, these are theories. I guess <laughs> this is a very like... Um, amateur way of describing these things, you know, not professional or academic at all, but like there, there have been smart people that have studied the brain and humans and all collaborating together, reading each other's research and doing all their own sort of experiments. And they say, here's something I've noticed and here's a name I'm giving it. Does it actually exist? Who knows? You know, what is happiness? Like this person is conveying a sense of upbeat, positive emotion. I'm calling it, happiness right it's is like happiness exists? is it real can you measure that what right. like it's it but it's like but it is real yeah happiness exists yeah so then you have all these other technical things like transference object relations yeah the things that we're probably going to want to talk about scapegoating yeah yeah uh, in five weeks five weeks scapegoating <laughs> hopefully our next psychological concept so, so now we're in the realm yeah. of psychological concepts or modalities every five episodes mace is in a master's program to be a therapist. It's true. And so many things will be happening over the years. First of all, if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, um, don't like this podcast, these are just a bunch of rambling buffoons. That's fine. And also if you do like the podcast and you're like, I hope Mason Scott keep recording the podcast. Well, we have plans to keep, keep recording. recording. The podcast. <laughs> and, and, and when things like this happen, uh, we're like, oh, this will be such great fuel for the podcast. Like, I guess you're going to sort of, in a way, be on a journey mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with Mace as we do a master's program. We <laughs> that was a Freudian slip, but I am kind of sort of associating myself with being part of this master's. Program. It's true. I I like share many lectures and yeah. notes and ideas with Scott <laughs> yeah, often. So yeah, that that fuel is fueling a lot of this as well. I feel like that's fueling this transition also. I love too that we have this record where if you wanted to 30 years from now, when you're like a veteran therapist and a professor traveling around the world, explaining object relations, you'll go back to this episode and be like, Oh my gosh, what the heck was I? Like, I, have I no know. Idea. I know just to see like, it feels like this is like, I, I imagine a, a file shaving like a piece of skin off my pinky nail. Yeah, I'm yeah. like that's that's as far as we'll get into like what my understanding is. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening, it's like, um, you know, it, you can, you can go Google object relations. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like we live in the day, day of the internet. Everybody, you can go find probably a Reddit thread or something. It's not like. You need us. You don't need us to explain object relations. But as we say, this is sort of the energy of somewhat entertaining. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. Somewhat. Uh, hopefully. Just I imagine somebody doing some dishes in their house and they just have us on in the background and they're like, oh, nice pleasant voices, kind of paying attention. Object relations. That's weird. Whatever. Maybe I'll get something out of it. Maybe you will. But if it whets your appetite and you're like, I re- 
these guys really botched this episode. I really got to go figure out what object relations is. You can Wikipedia. Right, exactly. Um, and find uh, analysts out there on the internet who have lectures. There's many lectures to be found online. Go YouTube object relations. But maybe um, we'll make a case for why it's worth talking about. Yeah. And why it's interesting. Yeah, and then we'll, so we'll, we'll make the case and then we'll come back and explain it. Oh, you want to make the case first? We could do a, a brief case. <laughs> okay. I thought that's what you were uh, suggesting. No, let's make a case and then we're going to take a break. Yeah. So Bite why, size. why object relations? <laughs> like what? Cause this is our first one we chose, which yeah, is interesting. I'm, I'm going to play. I'm going to look, make a skeptical look on my face and I'm going to pretend I'm a skeptic and you're, you're on the street and you're like trying to sell me on this podcast and like check out my episode. And, and I'm like object relations. Why would I want to listen to that? Um, man, I've got, I just got very nervous. I'm like, um, what would I say? I don't know. I'll just say this. Okay. Maybe that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> opt, opt, opt out. Um, yeah, opt out. Um, <laughs> I'm out here. I'm studying lots of modalities and this one has caught my attention aggressively mm. for two reasons. One, my therapist uses it a lot. So that's one thing mm. that I feel like mm. there's this piece of me that's wondering about how I'm experiencing it as a client. And so there's a lot of wondering and curiosity that I've had around object relations just by the inherent nature of this happening yep. in my life. Two, object relations hits, I feel like. Mm. And object relations feels really expansive. So I will just be brief in saying object relations is essentially a modality that places heavy, heavy emphasis on early holding environments, looking a lot at infancy. And in a lot of ways says that you hold the patterns you created in early infancy and childhood and you hold these patterns your whole life. Yeah. And it's honestly so similar to the Enneagram. It's like all these modalities line up in a lot of ways, but I feel like object relations looks at this world of objects that you created in your early childhood and then helps you to see them mm, and mm, see mm, get helps you to discern between what are your internalized objects and what's the external world. Mm, so it's, it's, it's breaking out of that and seeing what's external and what's internal because so much of what we're experiencing we think is external, but it's, so much of our internal objects are overlaying how we experience things. Oh, you're doing it. So you're really doing it. It's it, very it, enticing. <laughs> I hope people are enticed because I am because I don't know how we're just talking metaphors tonight, but I, I feel like when you talk about that, I'm staring at a, a deep horizon. <laughs> I'm not there. I see it in the distance and I'm like, Oh, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. I have no mastery, but like some things you were saying, again, as like appetizers or something is like something you've been saying a lot lately, which I mostly think I get, you know, but you, you throw this around very casually, like holding environments, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think I understand what you're saying. And then, um, just the philosophical technical concept of an object. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. Cause we could really maybe do a second episode of object relations someday where we're a little bit more planned out. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, step by step breakdown. And now you're talking about this internalized object, which for me someday has to do with like symbols. Yeah. You know, which I also want to talk about. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's all the buzzwords and it's like, I mean, you're naming it right there of object. I mean, what is an object? There's, that's a very insane, like, or not, not insane word. It's a very varied word. 
like loaded, complicated, loaded word. You could write essays on how you define object and the thinkers in object relations and the prior thinkers because object relations comes out of psych. I'm going to get into explaining it, but it comes out of psychoanalysis. (laughs) And don't do it. I'm kidding. kidding. (laughs) The word object is literally explained different by Freud and then it's explained Ah. different by Klein and then it's explained different by Winnicott in terms of the term like terminology. So it's like, I don't, I'm going to throw around the word object. Okay. Okay. This final, final taste of an appetizer in my processing. And this is probably a little bit what the episode's going to be like, but like it, 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 in terms of symbols too, and sign and signified and all that, again, those are (laughs) people like, what the heck? Some people are, I think, I think some people are listening (laughs) being like, what the heck are they talking about? Like, I don't even know these concepts and thoughts, but some people are listening to be like, they are blowing it. I know. I know. understand object relations. No, I know. I think this is the thing is, this is what you get with the podcast. You get people <laughs> trying to understand something. Yeah. And hopefully it whets your appetite to go in the understanding process yourself. Right. Like, for right now, this isn't our full-time job. We're not hired by a studio. We do this in a home where people are living. Like, mm-hmm. there's just life happening around us, which is beautiful, actually. Um. But no, 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 no. I mean, we don't have 40 plus hours a week to make this fine-tuned case for object relations. We're just popping off. And and, and actually, this is something we've been saying about the podcast lately. It's like it's, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. So we're, we're having conversation. It's true. I, 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 I won't go on record and say I understand it completely. I've spent a bit of time recently I'm trying excited. to understand it. I'm excited. I mean, already based on what you said, my, my, I'm excited. So... I hope the audience is excited, but in terms of objects, it's, it's this idea of uh, something happened and happens in our early holding environments, if you will. And to a certain extent, many of the literal objects that we encounter every day, whether it's a human or even a microphone for that matter, Mm -hmm. get organized differently in our brains. Yes, you know exactly. So that's nice. That's very rewarding for me to hear, hear you say that. Like, <laughs> no, yes, it's exactly. Right. It's exactly. It's how you organize. Yeah. It's how you organize what you see in the world. It's yeah. it's what it's what's going on internally in your internalized organized system inside. Oh, and it makes me so mad because it's like it's valid, and then like people that want to think about the world in such a precise, analytical way where everything is proven. It's just like these things, I think, ultimately are impossible to prove. How can you improve your internal? How can you prove your internal world? Right. How can I how can I prove to you that, you know, I experience, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I don't want to say anything too cringy, but like, uh, yeah, the way I experience the world, it can't be proven. No, it can't be proven. It. It can't be proven, but you can show, but you give tells if people are, this is the thing is I'm not trained to see this, but this is what object relations mm-hmm. is saying is you, because you're operating out of an internal world and you start acting in an external world, you're giving off tells about what your internal world is by the way in which you interact with the external world. Yes. So you can see the proof of internal worlds in someone else because they're responding to an internal world. And you can see at times so it doesn't match their situation. You know, it does seem like the, our union life friends are trained. Yes. You know, we're listening and then they just, they just don't hesitate. They go, here's what I'm here. No, exactly. Like, oh. Exactly. It's like, I feel like there's intense training. Yeah. That is part of this. 
Okay, when we come back. Everybody, we're going to do a, a quick crash course on object relations coming up, and then you're going to get a ruination tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're new to the pod, don't worry about what that is. You'll find out. And then we'll come back and try to have some closing thoughts. Yep. So when we come back, object relations. <laughs> Okay, everybody, we're back. We're back. Um, Mace is in a master's program. <laughs> we know. <laughs> and now uh, is going to attempt a explanation. Uh, an explanation of object relations. Yeah, I'll do my or, best. Or just the the, the 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 seeds. Yes. I guess I'm using that metaphor a lot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I will do my best to kind of explain it, and I feel like a, a brief history is part of it Ooh. because I like that. I think we're in this certain field, which is the field of branched out of psychoanalysis. So folks, a popular name we hear, we talked about, we talk about them a lot when we do defense mechanisms is your boy Freud. It's your boy. It's your boy Freud. So psychoanalysis, Freud is like early main thinker. Um, we've got Freud, Jung and Adler and they're like, the big game in psychoanalysis. And a lot of the thoughts, there's so many things, and I don't even actually want to go into psychoanalytic theory. But the one thing I will say and kind of marks the difference is you hear about this a lot with Freud, this idea of drive theory. Drive theory. So it's... Death drive. Death drive. Yeah. It is the basis to life is your drive. And it's highly focused on the edible complex. And that is... so interesting. And that is... Uh, a primary marker of Freud. And there's all this stuff around the unconscious and your drive and libido and that being a life force and that being what is the basis that, that drives you forward. Words to describe what's going on all day when we're living. Yeah. What's propelling us to do these things? <laughs> you know? You're, are you asking me that? Or no. You're, no, you're, yeah. yeah like, well, that's what, that's what, that's what it's saying. Exactly. It's they're yeah. saying it's like your drive, your yeah. sex drive, your death Edo, drive. Yeah. Um, pleasure principle, pleasure principle. Exactly. Things I've heard in the past. No, exactly. So, so that's Freud and Freud's big emphasis and lots of other things, but object relation. So then you get Melanie Klein mm. who is, I think considered like a transitional theorist because she tries to combine this idea of relationships and the drive. So object relations says that what quote unquote propels you isn't necessarily this drive at the basis, but your relation to objects. Uh It is the other, it is the other person. It is, it is reaching outward, is relationality that is what propels you. Mm. And Melanie Klein is somewhere in the middle, kind of combining this drive that then pushes you towards relationship, I think is how she might describe so, it. So sort of is Melanie Klein so, sort of like a yes and a Freud? Like, sure, it is drives, but there's more to it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think so. And and Klein and Anna Freud had like big debates uh, on Anna lots Freud of things. 
Sigmund Freud's, Sigmund daughter. Freud's daughter. So this is like this early world where there's these like not early world, early <laughs> like world. this world in ago. like the 19 twenties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, like I feel like I should know more. <laughs> no, um, yeah, no, I think that's true. I don't want to look up. I, this is the thing. I don't, I don't care if somebody's like, Oh my gosh, they didn't know when Sigmund Freud was alive. Like, well, we it's all Wikipedia. I, I do think it's more actually closer to, yeah, it's like between it's, it's between the wars. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it is yeah. in that time. Um, anyways, Klein, so Klein's this object relations theorist, kind of, uh-huh. but then, then you start to get into what is like known. It's, so this is then all, there's this like league, British object relations league or something like wow. that. Wow. Whoa. And essentially it's this new a league. I, I think that, I think league <laughs> is the word again. Is it like a club? I don't know <laughs> what it is. Is, is. is it like a group of professors who are all thinking and talking about this? And it's like. Yeah. I okay, don't actually okay, know. No, I don't actually know. I yeah. just know that that was the name of something. I, I'm pretty sure I heard it in a podcast. Cool. I listened to four <laughs> lectures yesterday, so it's all just like <laughs> random mush. You're going to class, you're writing papers, you're reading books, you're listening to podcasts. This is the result. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. Um, and there's essentially this new school of thought that emerges, which is under the umbrella of British object relations. Mm. And so there's all these different theorists that would fall under that. You hear names like Klein, you hear names like Winnicott, Fairburn, Margaret Mahler. These uh, big names. Beyond. Beyond. I could not tell you the difference of what their theories are. Yeah. But they, they do all have differences. But what this shift is, is we're looking at Freud and Jung, who are all kind of looking at drive theory and thinking psychologically as folks who are looking back on their childhood Mm. and trying to explain it. What happened? And their main like observation is people reflecting on their childhood and talking about their childhood. Mm -hmm. Object relations shifts in a lot of ways because now we have relational relationships at the center and alongside that is a like huge emphasis more on infancy, early holding environments, birth, the early parents, as opposed to Freud, who's looking more at like Oedipal stuff. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. more latency. Mm -hmm. And so alongside that in object relations, you also get people who are observing children Ah. instead of thinking back on childhood experience. It now is a lot more observing children and their parents. Because I, I don't imagine Freud was uh, studying children. It was more of just talking to adults. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there's this shift too in object relations where people like Margaret Mahler and Winnicott are observing children and writing about their observations with children mm. and observing mothers mm. and their children mm. as, and so it's like a, a kind of that shift as well that then shapes kind of the mm. field. Mm. So, that's the like the basis or I guess like the history of object relations, which places like so much emphasis on the, the mental representations that get formed in early infancy and those very early infant moments that then lay the foundation for 
your internal world? So in my mind, when I ever, I've, for the last few years, whenever I've heard the term object relations, I really do go right to baby in the mother's breast. I thought that was, I thought that was like the basis, like everything is based in terms of object, like the yeah. first object yeah. is the mother's breast. Am I wrong on that? I don't, it sounds like it's lots of objects. It's lots of objects. You're not wrong on it yeah. being that, but it's not just that. And I think there's also this interesting thing. So Klein, this is where Klein and Winnicott also would disagree. And I think Fairburn has a different take, but there's also this sense of like the mother themselves would be a whole object. Mm. The nipple would be an object. Mm. The hand would be an object. There, there isn't like a single, it's not just the breast, although that oh. is a very, very key one. Yeah. They would say, um, but there's this thing. So, so Winnicott comes in and says the baby does not have a sense of self and what is other when they are first born, right? What they encounter the baby thinks is coming from the self. Yes. So they think that the mother is the self. They think that the breast is their own. Right. There, in those early stages, there is no like quote unquote object. Right. They, that is that is me exactly. Yeah. I think Klein doesn't think that. Klein thinks that there there is an awareness of the self hmm. as a baby. That that is an an, an other thing. Hmm. But Winnicott comes in and says, "No, what is the mother is the baby, or what Gosh. is that early parent and is the like, baby." It's it's in all the spirit of curiosity, right? It's like the reason we talk about this podcast, it's like, we're all allowed to talk and think about these things. Right. And yet how can any of them actually prove it? It's like, you can't really ask a baby. Right. You know, like, how do you see the breast? You know, what, what's going on for you? You know, while you're nursing, it's like, <laughs> you don't quite know, but yeah, I mean, just quickly glancing at my Winnicott book before we started, I remember think he kept using this phrase of like a magical object mm-hmm. that like at some point, and I'm not sure if I'm explaining this perfectly, but once the baby is, is somehow capable of distinguishing between itself, it does. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying, but like he, he uses the word magic. Yeah. And who knows what he's saying when he says that, but like um, the breast or something becomes something at least for the baby that, that they can control in sort of a magical way. It appears. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. It's not part of me anymore, but I sort of have control over it. Right. Yeah. No, I can beckon it and like it can come to me. No, exactly. Well, and so part of this also is because it places all this emphasis on it, then it looks at that like early experience of coming out of the womb and into the world. Yeah. So this also places a large, like, like this Winnicott quote of the mother, there is no child without the parent or mother there is no mother without the child, right. which I mean, it's so real, it's so basic, like it's, it's so real. basic, but then it's also like, Whoa, yeah. what does that mean? Like by the act of mothering or parenting or being that, that, that figure holding the baby, you are creating the child that necessitates on your relationship. It's yeah. like, you cannot be one without the other. Yeah. You need both to exist which is just this oh, like, Oh, these are such huge concepts. It's such so a true. big concept. And yeah. it's like, dang. And so then it's like that. What's the implications then? Like yeah. for who, what humans are that yeah. to be, to become a human is to be in necessarily tied in relationship to, to another. Yeah. 
Yeah, honestly, as he's saying that too, even if it's only merely internal, but like you could go live on an island, but these, you know, talk about the other within, these early concepts are always inside of you, but right. maybe a sort of uh, healthy way to utilize the insights from object relations theory is to make sure you're, oh, how do I want to say this? Um, having a thought through intentional appreciation for the way you interact with the world. <laughs> yes. Does that sound good? It does sound good. <laughs> I want to say humans, but it probably applies to everything. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. who am I without Seattle? Who am I without Mesa and no, no small thing? Who am I without my family, my wife, my kids? Like, who am I without the seminary and school I went to? It's like these things impact me and I impact those things. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we are each other and we exist not just standing in a void. Right. But as we interact. Right. And right. let things impact us and move us. And um, yeah, gosh, object relations. Holy smokes. It's a too lot. Much. It's a lot. So <laughs> I feel like I feel like because you asked for it, I want to give. I did ask for it. Um, and I'm continuing. But no, I was going to say, I want to give the like us a definition of holding environment. Please. Um, Sounds great. I'm here for it. I don't know exactly if this is the right definition, but this is how I've come to understand it and how I'm using it. Yep. So maybe this is the mace. You know, we know people say like when I'm using the word we self, got Freud, we is- got you, we got Klein, we got beyond and we got Mooney. Yeah, I do. One day, Dr. Mooney. Oh, it's going to happen. I feel like I, I 100% believe it. Um, so holding environment. There's there's lots of things that you could say are the holding environment, but it is essentially that it's, it's literally, I feel like written in the word. It is the environment, the objects, the space that help holds you and takes care of you mm-hmm. in that, in that early stages of life. Mm-hmm. So from the womb to early childhood, probably like eight to nine mm-hmm. people would say like What's early like? holding environment. Yeah. Um, and that includes both like, the parents. Yeah. So whatever parents are, ours are the early caretakers. And there's these, these kind of concepts of you have, and this is, this is the object relations thinking is, well, gosh, I have too many thoughts, but oh. in terms of, so object relations sees this idea of you experience the world mm-hmm. and depending on who you are, you say, depending on what theorist you are, you would say, here I am, this baby. I have this mother. I don't have a distinction between me and the mother. So whatever the mother is, I am. Mm-hmm. But you don't objectively understand what the mother is. Right. It's what you internalize and represent the mother to be. Mm-hmm. So there's this like interesting piece too of like nature versus nurture that's also inevitable in this. It's not like whatever your holding environment is necessarily becomes your internal world. It's what your holding environment is interpreted mm-hmm. that then you, you then what, what you've interpreted yeah, becomes like, the object. Ah, uh, yep, 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 yep. So it becomes, it, it's not what the mother is. It's what the, it's what you've interpreted the object to be and how you hold it inside. And then it seems what happens is uh, you sort of, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
project that early holding environment onto the rest of the world forever. Forever. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. I think, I think you essentially are always doing that. Yeah. Like you have, and I mean, there's definitely a lot of like queering to be done in object mm. relations. Ooh. In my opinion, also Dr. Mooney coming ahead to yes. queer object relations. Yes. <laughs> um, but there's, there's kind of this idea of you have like the maternal figure or the paternal figure, or maybe two maternal figures or whatnot, but you have these objects that you internalize. And then you also have, I forget there's a name for it, but it's essentially the combined object. Right. So you could combine two uh, parents to yeah. become one object. Yeah. Um, and this is like, I mean, I feel like this is so many things, but it's like voices in your head. Mm -hmm. It's like things people say mm -hmm. it's early responses to a behavior mm -hmm. gets how the, the need was met gets, categorized. Mm -hmm. I think you said that earlier, it gets organized mm -hmm. and it gets placed as a certain way something will respond. And so then you start acting out of that response, assuming that it's always going to respond that way because it's the way you've internalized the world to be. Oh, I'm just sighing because this is so big. <laughs> it does seem so. It's like tools for therapists, obviously. And then also I just like this idea of all these things being sort of an open platform. We can all be curious about object relations. Right. Um, and I'm going to say something crazy extreme, but, but the reason I think some of this is important to acknowledge, and, and this is why I say sometimes when we're working with our youth for this youth group, I say everyone deserves to be treated special and unique. Like this idea of like no special treatment. I'm like only special treatment. Only special treatment. Because think about in the most extreme way. It's like somehow you had a crazy, or, 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 or crazy, uh, uh, a parent who for whatever reason s used the word love in an abusive way. Mm -hmm. Like they only said it at times where it was meant to hurt somehow. And it, this, is, this is in an upside down world. Yeah. But then you go out into the world and somebody goes, I love you. And it instantly triggers something in you. And somebody goes, well, logically, love means this, you know, like trying to explain it to you. Right. There's no reason to be upset by love because what I meant was, and I'm like, I, I didn't experience it that way growing up. I'm telling you that that causes, I don't know why. Yep. And yep. Exactly. I wasn't even really fully cognizant or aware when I, when I experienced this. But when you say that it triggers me. So please don't say that. Yeah. You're like, I just love the insights that you could get from this, you know? Exactly. I feel like it's really helpful in that sense of like, oh, I've, I've, and this is where object relations, like, and maybe having, going through a therapeutic process with it or talking about it with someone close to you. It's like having someone or figuring out what, what assumptions am I making about this thing that's happened to me based on, the way in which I respond to these things, mm -hmm. like hearing the word love, like what assumptions all of a sudden come up to me when I hear someone say they love me? Mm -hmm. Like, am I all of a sudden defensive? Mm -hmm. That's saying so much about my early holding environment. Yes. It's like all these things. And there's this quote that I have because object relations, it's like, Oh, like all this childhood stuff, but it's like in the therapy like session, it's like that information is helpful, but it's also like, no, you bring the, the past is always being brought forward. Mm -hmm. Like it's always coming to meet us. Like the past is in the present. Mm -hmm. These early holding environments are showing up in the present moment. And that's what gets attended to. It's like how the past is now shaping the present. 
<laughs> no, I see how this could be like sort of Enneagram-ish because again, like I'm just talking nonsense here, but it is like, <laughs> it's like we've talked about the Enneagram being, you know, your, your essence or your ego or your personality or whatever is birthed out of this initial wound. And so we've sort of metaphorically described your personality as like a cast, mm-hmm. you know, something that was meant to protect that wound or heal it or something. Um, or sometimes we think of it as like an overworked muscle. Like yeah. you got this one big giant right arm and nothing else has been worked on your body. But this also seems like a, a need that wasn't met or was established or something in your early years. And the rest of your life is trying to fill that hole or that void. A hundred percent. All of your interactions are. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Which I think, so this is the thing too of like Winnicott talks about this idea of the good enough parent or the mm-hmm. good enough holding environment, the good enough mother, which essentially is attunement to the early infancy. Mm-hmm. So the baby comes out and, and this is. <laughs> I love that we have these noises. <laughs> I know. There's, there's a lot of this that I think I'm coming to realize is like anxiety is the base. And I, that, that rings true in my own soul. So I'm like, yep, you come out into this world. Like imagine this. I mean, this is our births are traumatic. We're in with the holding environment. We literally are one with the holding environment. We're in this safe, warm space. Yeah. Let me just say this because it goes with what you're saying, but it's like, we were just on Whidbey Island and like I spent every afternoon just sitting on this back deck, basically right on the water. Might as well have been on a boat, but I wasn't, but it's like, I would just stare at the ocean all day. And I said, I said to everybody that we were hanging out with, I was like, why is the ocean so soothing? And everybody instantly was like, it reminds you of the womb. Right. That's why. Right. <laughs> I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess. That makes oh, sense. exactly. No, exactly. Or there's a piece of us that's probably always wanting to get back to that womb state yeah. where you're just, one with the holding environment, you're getting fed, you're in this space and then you come into the world and all of a sudden anxiety, when am I going to get fed next? When is my knee going to get met? And that's where this object of the nipple becomes and the breast becomes so strong because it's, this is the anxiety inducer or reducer. It's like, you're always (laughs) trying to mitigate this anxiety. (laughs) So all the things we're interacting with, (laughs) <laughs> to a certain extent or just a breast. <laughs> Somebody soothe me. Somebody a show. <laughs> no. Ex- a drink. No, exactly. <laughs> My no, whiskey. Exactly. <laughs> and so, I mean, Winnicott proposed, and I feel like this is a, a sweet, hopeful thought of like, generally you can wean. I mean, it's mm-hmm. weaning. You right. can wean into the world. And if the mother or the early caretaker is attuned and is able to meet the baby and meet the baby with love. So is able to be emotionally attuned. So meets the baby's physical needs. But then as the baby, which sense of self is tied up in the, in that early parent. So if the early parent has a sense of self, then a sense Mm. of self gets established in the baby. The baby Mm. is learns to be okay on their own. It learns that the, the caretaker will come to them it, it learns it slowly is able to wean into this sense of separation. And in doing that was mirrored back mm. goodness mirrored back being met with the eyes, being met with love, whatnot. And so then when I would say you kind of develop the true self, you're able to be the true self and emerges. 
I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, what other people are experiencing in this episode, but I think we're doing a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are specifically, but yeah, I, I had this thought too of like uh, art that I'm pretty aware of that, that really conveys this sense of that'd be fun to maybe post on our Instagram of like just through an image, a, a sense of like that weaning process and, and it, it like different artistic renderings, maybe even accidental of a mother and a baby sort of caressing each other and being intimate while at the same time being separate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of like the, the hope mm-hmm. is that that can happen. And then the baby can develop a sense of self. Yeah. Um, if that isn't met, then the baby, uh, like there's, there's this concept of the false self that yeah. gets developed. And, and this also, I mean, these things happen in later childhood too, but essentially it's the, the holding environment isn't able to hold what the, the child is. Mm. And because we come out anxious and needing to survive and needing that external object, we need it desperately. We need it to be, mm. we need it to exist. Oh. It needs to be for us to exist. <sighs> so because of that, we develop a self. So we will receive anything from that object. <laughs> and this thought was you're saying is like, <laughs> and then we die. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we're just given this crazy energy at the beginning of life. And that sets us off on our trajectory. And we're like, manically trying to get back to the womb and the breast and the object and something. And it's like, and then you die. (laughs) (laughs) We spend our whole life like trying to, which I think is the thing is like, that's, that's the thing is like embrace that you're not in the womb anymore. There's some, there's something to be said there of like you, you aren't the baby anymore. Yeah. But I think without going through a process of kind of realizing that, like, we're kind of always walking around like a baby. Yeah. You know, like responding like a baby to our early holding environments. So that's where it's like you in doing some work can start to meet another object and have it respond in a different way. And you get to reshape the patterns. Yeah. I I was talking to somebody today that is listen, has listened to a few of our podcast episodes and is a psychotherapist. And we were sort of talking a little bit about this and it was sort of, coming up about my sort of instincts around how we should be doing youth ministry based mm-hmm. on sort of some of these things I've encountered over the years. And I can't, I didn't, I didn't collect it all in some sort of systematic way where I can point to, but now I just have some instincts, but he, he was saying something similar along the lines of um, he had mostly experienced life in this way where if he was doing anything, there were a lot of expectations mm-hmm. around his performance and how he's going to do it. And then he had this uncle that played chess with him. And the way the uncle played was all the space and time you need to develop your own game. Mm-hmm. Like there's no mm-hmm. expectations here and go at your own pace and curious about how he's playing. And that was an interesting move. And he said he'd never experienced anything like that before where he could just find his own way yeah, and be supported yeah. in that. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of what you're saying about object relations. And sometimes in terms, I'm bring it back to youth ministry, but like, it's almost like we're doing damage control at that point. Yeah. No, yeah. no, exactly. It's like it, you're, 
you're trying to model something different, model, mm -hmm. model a different object. And the most important thing probably for all of our society in so many ways is really getting to those parents of early childhood. <laughs> I know. I know. I do kind of feel like I've been charged more and more to be like, got to work with parents, got to yeah. work with parents. Yeah. Um, I had a thought. I, I, I have heard, I don't, this is going to sound really sloppy and it is, but like, because uh, this, this was something that I was really engaging in years ago, but it, it was sort of an equity thing. It was sort of a public education thing. And I forget exactly who the person was. Honestly, I feel like it was Brian Stevens, but I could be wrong. But it's it's sort of like um, f equity and justice looks like making sure we support young families or people yes. with kids. And yes. It's good for our society, too. Well, it's breaking intergenerational trauma. Yeah. I think that's the thing. It's like when a parent that has been able to work through their, like, early holding environments, they're then able to meet They're, I mean, they are better able to be individuated when with the baby, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. I think makes a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. The good enough mother seems to me, uh, so it's such a deep concept, but it seems to be sort of a mother, a mother in quotes. Right. Right. Know, no, exactly. Parent, but, but like, uh, um, willing, capable and, of, uh, like uh, willing and capable to sort of strategically and lovingly let the child down. Yes, you know? yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Well, and let the child be. Yeah, I think yeah, there's, yeah. there's this thing too of if the oh, mother, crap. oh no, when did it happen? I've been paying attention to it. So, because I thought I hadn't deleted some stuff. Oh, limited space for me. Okay. I think we're good to just keep talking. Yeah. Good enough mother. Good enough mother. Weaning. Which, okay, I, another thing is, I mean, this is, I, again, there's a lot of theorists out there, and I feel like because there's so many theorists, I've only a, been able to get into one, which is when I caught. Good one. You also have a snail. I also have a snail named when I caught. It's true. <laughs> um, Lil Winnie. Um, <laughs> yeah, and a bit side note, memory. it's already kind of nostalgic to think back to those days where we were watching all those, like, play therapy videos. <laughs> And the way people do that. I know. Oh, I see you're picking up that toy over there. I, oh, you're playing in the sand. I may or may not rewatch them all one day, like two <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> like every play therapy video on the catalog. It was now that I just have that memory. It's really profound. It is very profound. I also other news downloaded a subscription to this website called psychotherapy.net. And I watched a object relations therapy with a teen. <laughs> and his mother They're like psychotherapy fans you know <laughs> oh just fanning out about just this stuff such a nerd <laughs> um no it's real um winnicott's like generally most mothers are equipped and capable of being a good enough mother mm. or pair caretaker it's like generally the instinct is there to be this um i think obviously there's like we live in a world where there's a lot of barriers to care in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and inequity. So mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like there's, there's often lots of generational trauma that is a part of this, yeah. um, to be named in the midst of it. Um, but I, I think there's like a bit of hope in like object relations. Like it's like generally we do have all these things and we are generally operating out of transferences 
And it, it's helpful to, to learn what your transferences are, which when I say transference in this, I'm like essentially like, what have you internalized and what are you transferring onto the, your external world? So like that can be a whole going to school, like you're going to be transferring even like your early school environment in elementary school into your college environment Yeah, or something that was similar is going to be transferred and it's kind of going to be there your whole life. So like you just are always going to be playing with these. They're always going to kind of be there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I had one other thing I wanted to say. Yeah. As I mean, we wrap just up. Stop yourself. I mean, it's like that idea of without judgment, without excuse, but there's another Enneagram phrase we've used in the past of like catching yourself in the act mm-hmm. of like, and then in terms of just this meta idea of curiosity, are you able to stop and say, Am I reading this situation correctly? Yeah. Is it true that this person's out to get me? Yeah. Let me, let me try to look at some more information rather than just my instincts because maybe I just think everyone's out to get me because of my early holding environment. Exactly, which there's this idea of like taking in bad objects. So taking in a bad object, which there's like all these like true self, false self, good object, bad object, kind of binaries that aren't binaries. They're just kind of like pendulums and there's lots of in between, Mm -hmm. but there's this idea of if your early objects were heavy quotes, bad objects, and they weren't able to meet your emotional needs. But again, you're desperate as a baby for that object. So it's this idea. I think it's Fairburn who says if they're, if you're starving and there's all that's, there's to eat is a poison pie, you're going to eat the poison pie. Mm. So it's, if that's the case, you, your early holding environment, you take in bad object, then there's this idea that you like, you kind of develop a pattern of swallowing bad objects and then needing to spit them back up because it's, they're bad. They're toxic. I heard, I heard that woman the other day that we were listening to the object relations view of like talking about how maybe it's a, maybe bulimia is a physical manifestation of that. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I I mean, object relations looks at lots of, I mean, it takes lots of different uh, ways in which people are experiencing symptoms like bulimia and looks at them symbolically and sees that in a lot of ways is the swallowing of a bad object and that being a representation of that early of an early swallowing and, needing to throw back up a toxic thing and that pattern kind of getting developed. I need it, but I hate it. I need it. I hate it. Mm -hmm. That push and pull that push and pull. And, and it's, it's, there's a lot of like notions to sadomasochism that observation talks a lot about of like this. And this is this piece of the, the heart of it being relationships. And so those early relationships, so also siblings, like, also neighbors, whatever your early relationships, they, they lay the tracks because we need them. So we do lots for those relationships. And then what we did for the relationship becomes what we do for all relationships. And in some, in some ways this stuff is unconscious. Like in some ways we don't remember. Right. Oh no, exactly. No, we have no idea. I mean, it, it takes someone being able like, I can't to see think it back and point to, like, it out. My five-year-old self. I mean, that might be giving me a little bit of information, but it's like, really, I don't know. Right. I don't have very many memories of one-year-old self. Right. No, exactly. You know? And I think that like people who are trained in this would say that like, and this is kind of the fun and like where I'm like, maybe it was somebody down the line being a therapist. It's like working with a client the way, so like the, the therapy session offers this kind of playground mm-hmm. for the early holding environment, almost like, is a mock 
where the therapist kind of is something where the the client can project yeah. their internal world onto the therapist. Hmm. So whatever the therapist then plays the role of like like what object am I right now mm. and how do I respond okay. seeing that I'm there this client is projecting an object onto me. <laughs> this stuff is so interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had this thought and I think it goes meta to the podcast. It's like I think I think we just, it's like, it's so meta because like to a certain extent, this whole thing is play. We've created a holding environment. This is a container. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then I think about this thought of like what we kind of are trying to maybe potentially offer our own little co- contribution to the world, even if it's only for a few people. But it's like, uh, I was just thinking about that as like working with a parent. It's, it's, it's like sometimes humans, maybe me included, but people I've noticed over the years, it's like when things get serious Mm -hmm. or harmful or toxic or go south, whatever phrase you'd want to use. It's like the solution is to quote unquote, get serious. It's time to get the analytic mind out. It's time to get very somber. Mm -hmm. It's time to like, and that's what people tell me a lot in life is like, this is serious. And I'm like, so serious that we should play. (laughs) Yeah. This is going to require some playfulness. No, exactly. Exactly. So serious. We need to play. No, I think that's exactly it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's no small thing to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. It's like, how do you play with the environment of these two people? Like, and this is what do, what is this implications for you and your friendships? It's like, I mean, you and I, how can we like catch what objects we're seeing in each other? Yeah. You know, like, and again, it's not catch as in like caught it, but it's got like, you. I've got you all figured out. But it's like yeah. fascinating. Like I'm assuming that you're going to have this response to me. Check in. Are you going to have this response to me? Or And am I having that response? Exactly. Sometimes I'm like saying something. And you're like, you're being mean. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, what's happening there? What's, what's happening in the in-between of me digesting yeah. and putting it through the filter of my organizational system I yeah. have or the way your classic are. thing is I did something wrong. Right. And I'm like, well, I, I, I don't, I don't think that <laughs> and I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I let you down. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So I will it's not fine. be talking about my internal world. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're keeping your story close. I'm keeping my story yeah, close. Which is smart. Um, I think we solved it. We did it. I, I have this I have this feeling. I mean, we're obviously fans of each other, right? I have this feeling and it's it's of course it's not to imply that you're doing any of these things perfect. But <laughs> when it is coming to input and like reading something and then helping somebody else understand it, it's like and I don't like sports very much. And I did play baseball for quite a while. I do like sports very much. Yeah, Baseball was really stressful because it was like you come up to bat and everybody's watching. It's you alone up there. Well, and you could get hit so hard with that ball. Mm-hmm. My biggest fear. <laughs> but I, I do feel like when you come with these things, it's like a, a like a, a big home run hitter coming up to the plate. It's like, <laughs> oh, Mace is coming. And it's like knock it out of the park. Yeah, but every <laughs> once in a while, it really is like. Yeah, the home run here struck yeah, out yeah. a few times we lost tonight. <laughs> oh well, get him. You'll get him next time. <laughs> Projective identification, <laughs> which now I kind of get. Yeah. It's a huge object relations concept, which oh, I can't get into. Well, I was listening to that old Boston woman in a pool yeah. the other day describing <laughs> projective identification. I felt like I got a little bit more, but. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> what a lady. <laughs> I know. I do love her. I, I, I was saying. Object Relations View is the podcast that I, I've i binged like four times. I now. love it. And I'll say I couldn't. I couldn't make the audio sound bad as bad as it is if I tried. No, I wouldn't even know how to make it sound that bad. No, and there's <laughs> I there's I didn't send you any of these episodes, but there's one where she like I'm like, are you making toast? Like <laughs> no, it's like, like <laughs> horns in the background, and it's like, are you on top of a skyscraper with wind in in, in a in a old abandoned pool? While also like, <laughs> is your blinker on? Are you in a car? <laughs> like. <laughs> With an old talking in like an old eighties tape recorder, like what is happening? But the content in this <laughs> podcast is so good. so good; it's worth it. <laughs> Object relations view. Um, okay, we're gonna have Reuben come on for Reubenation, and then we'll have some closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Here we go. <laughs> I'll do it right now. <laughs> This is, is this a good distance? That's good. Yeah, okay. we're here with Reuven, everybody, and he's got a Reuvenation. Mm-hmm. And I specifically requested you sit across from me. Okay. okay this, Object relations? Does it relate? Well, this is actually a kind of deception. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is all of a sudden now a confrontation <laughs> no. that we're recording. <laughs> Something I've been meaning to say for you for many yeah, years, Scott. For many years, it'll be live. <laughs> you know, I listen to one podcast and what one podcast only and it's not this one conan o'brien conan o'brien needs a friend yeah (laughs) i love it i almost have listened to almost every episode (laughs) (laughs) i some episodes i listen to more than once when they re-upload it with like in video form i watch it Mm -hmm. many times Mm <laughs> Conan's and like your uh, big funny older brother or something. I feel like he is so funny. Yeah. And recently, he came out with this kind of like sub segment. Like he, the format of the of, of the uh, show is they have you know they interview like a person like a celebrity. Uh, and sometimes they had kind of like uh, different, like last summer they had episodes of called, I think it's like Summer S'mores with Conan and the Chill Chums. Oh, and that's, that's good. <laughs> but recently the chill they, chums. they came out with, I think it's because, um, I don't know, this is interesting. I guess like your podcast only sometimes do interviews. Mm-hmm. So the people, people are actually here for you and Mace. I think it's kind of like something similar where, People are there actually for Conan and his uh, assistant, Sonam Obsessian, and like his producer, who's also like a named Matt Gorley, who's also like a podcaster. And he's, I know him, I, I only found out about this recently from, if you've ever seen this show called Community, there is the second to last episode that's about incest. Oh gosh, I don't <laughs> even know if I remember that. <laughs> and like, there's a, the writer at the end who's kind of like, "Hi, my name is like the writer of this, right?" And like, 
Uh, I talked to Dan Han- uh, Harmon. Harmon, I think. Yeah. And he told me that we would, you know, write an episode about incest only if later I came out. And Matt Gorley was not the the writer, but he played the writer. Okay. He's kind of like, hey, and I wrote the episode about incest. And that's and him. That's him. Yeah. And they have, they're coming out of this new segment called Conan O'Brien Needs a Fan, where you can go to his website and like, sign up it's like oh like do you want to talk to conan <laughs> and i signed up <laughs> and i just want to talk to conan o'brien <laughs> no the, I, the, my ruination is not that do you want me to pretend to be conan no but i don't know i just feel like oh you look like a really interesting uh, guy <laughs> Thanks for coming on the podcast today. He does not. Is that my Conan? How do I do it? (laughs) But don't you have like famous friends in California? Yeah. Do they listen to this podcast? (sighs) I don't think so. They have more important things to do. (sighs) Tony Hale. Tony Hale's been on the podcast. Uh, What about Joel McHale? Aren't you friends with Joel McHale? Should I send him this episode? Yeah. It's like. It's a fast forward to like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, can someone text Conan (laughs) (laughs) O'Brien and tell him to like, you have a <laughs> I think it's worth I think it's worth pestering any and anybody to to get on. Like maybe you could make it happen. I think I think you could make it happen someday. I was thinking about object relations and the way I see it is that you are I don't know anything about this, but you are the object. Yeah. And I'm trying to like relate through you. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Like a colonoscopy camera. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> this is good. Ruben's doing a very strange gesture. Yeah, with I don't know. I've never had colonoscopy. Pointed up into the air, I assume, uh, with, as an instrument going up into somebody's colon. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, going through this object. He keeps doing this gesture. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, you know, at the end of this journey, instead of someone's colon, it's Conan O'Brien. <laughs> I think he'd be really here for that metaphor, that metaphor. But I wonder, I do wonder if we are in the realm of object relations, what Conan and these things that you relate to, whether it's community or arrested development, what they mean to you or symbolize. I don't know. He's just so funny. Yeah. You do like some good old fashioned humor. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so you like wit. I like wit. Yeah, I like wit. I like Fran Leibowitz. Yes, I me like too. Wit. I had somebody that literally sent me the the recommendation to watch that Netflix show tonight, and I'm like, I've already watched it twice. So, mm-hmm. jokes on you. <laughs> <laughs> so, whoever's listening, this is a call. Is uh, what's that? Uh, a call scream to action. In the void. Scream in the void. A cry in the desert. Someone <laughs> yeah. get me on Conan O'Brien. <laughs> it's a call to action. <laughs> a scream into the void. <laughs> Get Reuben on Conan. Conan. Anybody, we're activating our listeners. If you have any connections to Conan O'Brien, it's an emergency. We need you Thank to get you. out there. We need you to get Reuben on Conan. Because I have no relations. Yeah. I have very few relations. <laughs> I am like a dried prune. <laughs> uh, That's not true. Yeah, I mean, but compared to you, you have Scott, you have uh, relations in the academy that I don't have. Yeah, sort of. I mean, but none of that's like farther away from Conan O'Brien. That's if I've, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid Only relations that matter here right now is Conan, Conan O'Brien. O'Brien. Yeah, <laughs> yours is like that kind of like that 
image of like the brain scan of someone that's on LSD. That's like how I sh- see you, <laughs> your relations, the, just like relations, connections shooting out of like oh my gosh. this gleaming white sensor that is that's you. I think this but is. I came into this house one day and you were on a call with Fred Moten. So that's a different w- type of. Uh, no, I, I, I was not on. <laughs> you, it made it sound like I've been. I was on a private call with Fred. No, yeah. I was. I was. Anyone could have been on that. It's a Zoom. Yeah, seminar. but that was pretty cool. Yeah. Did I you mean, raise I, your hand and ask a question? Yeah, but I, I could have sent you huh? the link. Oh, I don't know. That's a connection. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have the link. Yeah, that's, it, a, that's privilege, Ruben. You you have privilege there. <laughs> Access to I Zoom just, links to Fred mode. I just I just feel like you know if we're gonna do like you know six degrees of Kevin Bacon. This. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're the degree that's the greasiest with the bacon fat. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm sliding down <laughs> this. <laughs> that took a turn into a crazy territory. I did not mix that <laughs> metaphor. That metaphor is already mixed. <laughs> I I did I did see Kevin Bacon in California one time, but I mm. didn't interact with him. Yeah. We were, we we were what, what what is that? The Griffith Observatory, right? We were we were in that area on a sunny day on a mission trip and Oh, this was Mesosithia? No, it was actually okay. a different mission trip and um my students noticed him on a horse and chased mm-hmm. him but did not get him to sign any autographs. Well, but he was he, he was up he was up in that Griffith Observatory area on a horse with some friends, which is strange. Oh. Did your student kind of catch up with a horse? That's impressive. I mean, it was. It, it's like it's like my my memory. It's like there's a lookout point at the top, and 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 you can sort of go up with a horse and then slowly go down. You can't like run with your horse. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I don't know. how funny would it have been if your uh, your students had caused like Kevin Kevin Bacon to like fall off the horse? <laughs> it had been the news. Mm-hmm. And yeah. There's what kind of all sorts of bacon fat and grease bacon in that fat story. Grease in that story. <laughs> So right, well, that's it. I have no. We've activated well, our listeners. Yes, I have no. Do I have witty observations? I don't know. I've been. I've been sitting by the canal. I'm hoping to get noticed by people on on rowers. Oh, you you do want to do a boat rant sometime soon? Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. there are some like you know nice looking people in the canal. Mm-hmm. I want to be noticed by them. I read my book. You have a love hate relationship with people in boats. Yeah, I mean, boats are like, I just feel like, you know, like those boats where it's like all these kind of like these like these like white people with like like American flag paraphernalia singing to Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, okay, you, you either you are like this or you get to like Joker, you know, like you don't get to have the best of both worlds. You can't say like, oh, I I identify with that character. And it's like, no, you're on a boat. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Your life is fine. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, no, I just relate to walking yeah, Phoenix. Relate and to walking Phoenix. Yeah. No, you were just on a boat yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. We do have some friends that live right by the Ballard Locks, which is where the boats all mm-hmm. go. And they can they say they from their personal perspective have never noticed anybody going through on a boat that's not drunk. <laughs> so that's a different little element to this story. Yeah. How does that make you feel? I don't know. Like I want them to fall and 
Part of you wants to be on the boat, though. Part of me wants to be on the boat, but also, you know, being on the boat. But I, I don't. I always feel like I'm out of place on the boat. Like I've been actually been on the and that kind of boat once, mm. and it's. It, I felt very out of place. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. I know. Best best thing to do is watch them longingly from the canal. Yeah, but also with like rage. Yeah. Like, you know, I want them to like hit a rock and sink. I'm full of, yeah. I think all my energy right now is aimed at Conan O'Brien. Yeah, don't don't worry too much about the balls. Just focus on Conan. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know. I feel like, so, because I feel like, okay, I, I've tricked Scott and Mace into letting me use their platform to uh, to call for Conan O'Brien. And it's like, I don't know, you want some obscure... Tatiana Nikolaeva. She's a, she's a Soviet pianist. Okay. Her Bach, I think, is better than Glenn Gould. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 a good way to end. Uh, yeah, that's a fair trade. Okay. Well. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been a Ruination. Uh, also, we are officially activating our fan base and listeners to get Ruben on uh, Conan O'Brien's podcast. Get Ruben on Conan. <laughs>
sidestep or what did you say? Opting out, moving into different modalities mm -hmm. is I was saying today, like the, the studies are in, there's not the biggest, like this is a, a, a therapeutic modality. Generally modalities play like a 15% role in like determining someone's outcomes. Also, how do you determine someone's outcomes of like therapeutic work? And if it was helpful, it's like really hard to measure, but mostly it's the therapeutic relationship. Mostly it's being in relationship with other that we find are healing. So it's like, this is helpful, but like at the heart of it is having someone to relate with and having someone to hold you. And like that, that piece is be, is like where so much of the healing happens. So I feel like it's fun for us to theorize and talk about this, but it's also like, this is why I'm like, we should do I thou one day. Cause it's like that, that's so, that's like maybe the basic is actually this idea of seeing the other person and meeting them with loving gaze and nurture, you know? And like just that alone is the healing. Yeah. And I guess maybe, you know, another meta thought is, you don't have to be in therapy with a therapist to experience something that feels therapeutic. Right. And, and, and maybe we've lost our way a little bit as a society in terms of relating to each other and we outsource care to therapists and we say, I don't trust my friends and family to care for me. So I have to hire someone. And of course we are fans of therapists and therapy, but you know, we should all learn to hold each other a little bit better, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. each mm -hmm. other's sadness and confusion and grief and, yeah, and to do it in a way that feels unique to the person with their own unique needs. And that's an interesting statistic. And I believe it like 15%, you know, and, um, two, it seems that we're all so complicated that there isn't a, one size fits all quick solution. Right, right, right. So the the healing comes through many, many, many sessions of conversation as you begin to sort of play and figure it out potentially with a therapist mm -hmm. or a friend. Because I, I think that's it, that, that's part of what this is in a way. Right, exactly. It's like just kind of, I mean, it's, it's also this thing of like it's healing and awareness and whatever all these things we're seeking are... They're also not like a, you get it. It's yeah. like a, it's just a, we're, we're becoming, we're, we're moving. Like we're, we're always growing up. Yeah. Um, birthing our minds, birthing our minds or in perpetual birth. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Do you have a birth mind? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe we retire our, our, our catchphrase or our mission statement say, helping you to birth your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be all, that would be, I mean, that's kind of an epic thought too. Um, there's this, I, I didn't say this analogy, but I think it's an, a, a helpful one to close of like this analogy of, I, I, again, it's like, because this, this theory most often takes place in explaining it in the model of therapy, it's what I use, but I think you're right. It's like our other relationships can help us to do that. But the therapist in object relations is essentially you come in with information, mm -hmm. sharing stuff and the therapist digests it mm -hmm. and gives it back to you for you to then be able to swallow. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even like this idea of like a bad object we talked about, like you keep swallowing bad objects. 
I think the therapist's role is to intervene and say, let's chew it up so you can now swallow it and don't spit it back out. Mm. Like taking the the big whole worm, worm. I feel like I have a hard time saying worm. 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 Chewing worm. it and giving it back to you in ways, in a, a pace that you can swallow. Ah. Uh. And then you can start to oh. incorporate it and digest it. <laughs> and it can a, fuel you. I had another Harry Potter thought. What is it? It was it's when Dumbledore saying you need to give me that liquid and I need to keep drinking it. You know, and it's not really it's kind of toxic but he needs it. Yeah. To to save everyone. And he needs to ingest it. I don't know why she wrote it that way, but like it's like, yeah, no, I it's 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 going to be cheating if I don't ingest this. Yeah. I have to swallow it and I have you need to, to keep making it. me do it. Yeah. And Harry's giving him these little baby sips. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean that's like He's, he eventually, like, he gets sick from that. Doesn't he die that <laughs> night? Oh, no. <laughs> Not from that, though. But, yeah, but still. <laughs> uh, oh, so everybody, spoiler alert. Dumbledore dies. <laughs> Sorry if I ruined Harry Potter for you. Um, uh, any any closing thoughts for you? Mm, this, this, this could be a very tender subject. Yes. I, I sense that as I'm talking about it i'm i'm remaining in the realm of the theoretical and i'm trying not to get too personal oh I'm like ah it feels very raw and tender oh i yes yes yeah. yes i i put up firm <laughs> good job like boundaries in terms of this tonight is there any sort of like song or blessing or poem or something typically we like ending with something like that that we can think of that would be appropriate for this oh i'm sure there's some kind of mother song to be found a mother song to be found <laughs> <laughs> i can think there i mean honestly i was listening to divers today and i was like damn divers has object divers. relations no it totally <laughs> does like anecdotes mm-hmm. it's i don't know um i'll think of, we can think about it and yeah. maybe surprise folks. We'll wind down everybody, but um, probably what you'll hear next is a closing song that we think will end this conversation well. <laughs> we don't quite know what it will be, but we'll think about it. We have three days. Surprise. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, hopefully this is interesting. Hopefully it opens up some thoughts about object relations for you. We're, we're a curious podcast. Well, what are we doing next week? <laughs> Um, I think we're interviewing Kevin Garcia. Next week, we're interviewing our friend Kevin Garcia. We're really stoked about, about Bad that. Theology Kills. We're super pumped. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Say-